Our first reading today is found in Genesis chapter 21, verses 8 through 21, on page 29 in the Pew Bibles. So the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, scoffing. Therefore she said to Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, namely with Isaac. And the matter was very displeasing in Abraham's sight because of his son. But God said to Abraham, Do not let it be displeasing in your sight because of the lad or because of your bondwoman. Whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice, for in Isaac your seed shall be called. Yet I will also make a nation of the son of the bondwoman, because he is your seed. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water, and putting it on her shoulder, he gave it, and the, gave it to her and the boy and sent her away. Then she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba, And the water in the skin was used up, and she placed the boy under one of the shrubs. Then she went and sat down across from him at a distance of about a bow shot, for she said to herself, Let me not see the death of my boy. So she sat opposite him and lifted her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the lad. Then the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said to her, What ails you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad, and hold him with your hand, for I will make him a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad a drink. So God was with the lad, and he grew and dwelt in the wilderness and became an archer. He dwelt in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. The second reading is found in Matthew chapter 10, verses 24 through 39, on page 1511 in the Pew Bible. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher, and a servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of his household? Therefore, do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, and hidden that will not be known. Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light, and what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my father who is in heaven. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, 
and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. The word of God. us to the very depths of our being. Lord, you know the hairs on our head, the sands of grain on the seashore. You know our birth, you know our death. All our days are in your hands. So Lord, in such a time as this, enable us to, even in the heaviness, to look to you for a word of hope find our peace in you, to experience you as our source of comfort. Lord, speak to us through your word. Change us, O God, we pray. Amen. Do you know what command is reiterated in some form in the Bible? almost 365 times. Say it loud, John. Do not be afraid. So if you're feeling fearful, there's a promise for every day of the year. Do not be afraid. We've been in the book of Genesis over the last few weeks, looking at this covenant that God made with Abraham. And in chapter 12 of the book of Abraham, as the world is spiraling down and down and down into death and destruction, God says to the one righteous family left, go and go to land I'll show you. And then in Genesis chapter 15, where God comes to Abram and starts to put shape, puts meat on the bones of this covenant, do you know what the first thing God says to Abram? Do not be afraid. You know what's reiterated over and over and over again through the Psalms? Don't be afraid. You know what the prophets say to the people of Israel? Don't be afraid. You know what the angel says to Mary when he comes and tells her that she's going to be with child? Don't be afraid. You know what the culmination of all things that we find in the book of Revelation? Do you know what God says? You know, fear is a natural impulse, isn't it? When we come up against something that we don't know, when something so overwhelming in its magnitude confronts us, when we come up against the unknown, the human reaction is to 
reel back in fear. Fear, at its core, is to protect us from something that we feel is threatening or unsafe or dangerous. So when the angelic messengers, you know, let's, let's dispel a myth about angels for just a moment. Those cute little fat chubby babies on Hallmark cards with arrows, shooting love, playing harps on clouds. Those are not angels. Almost every time an angel shows up in recorded scripture, you know what happens? People are terrified. They're freaked out. These are not warm, cuddly, chubby babies that you want to sing to. They're fearful. They're, they, 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 they inspire fear. There's something about them that is so other, so different, that the human response upon encountering one is to be afraid. And so it's no, no question why they often begin whatever their proclamation is with, don't be afraid. We come to Genesis 21 today, and God, as we heard last week at the beginning of Genesis 21, God fulfills a portion of his covenant with Abraham and Sarah. Isaac is born. 25 years after the promise was first given. When God comes to Abram and Sarah and says, you're going to have a child, and they respond with incredulity and laughter, Abraham is 75 and Sarah is 65. And when Isaac is born, Abraham's 100 and Sarah's 90. It took 25 years for that promise to be realized. Do you think Abraham and Sarah felt any fear in those 25 years? Oh, I'm sure they did. In fact, Sarah was so fearful, and remember, fearful being a human response to something that seems out of control or out of the ordinary, what does Sarah do? There's a supernatural promise, but there are ordinary facts of biology. Sarah's barren. And so she goes and gets Hagar, who has Ishmael with Abraham. Sarah assumes for herself a fix because she thinks the problem is greater than the problem. And then Isaac is born, and God does fulfill his promise in his time. And that's the hard part for us. The prophet says, your ways are not our ways. Your thoughts are not our thoughts. And yet, so often when the promise comes and we don't see what we expect to materialize, we start to search for human solutions. God wants to give us a supernatural solution. And here in Genesis 21, verses 8 through 21, we come to, because Sarah has taken it upon herself to try to fix something that seemed insurmountable, all sorts of problems arise. She starts to get jealous of Hagar. Isaac is weaned, so... That happened in the Israelite world around three years old. And if you do the math, 14 years prior to Isaac being weaned, so he's three now, Ishmael is born. 
teenager. Hagar's a mom. He's been living with them into his teenage years. Sarah's jealous. She's threatened. There's tension. There's dysfunction. And why is it? Because she took it upon herself to try to fix something. Because she knew more about biology than God. And so they cast Hagar and Ishmael out. And there's two things that I want to pull from this that I think give us some hope amidst the fear. Here's the first thing. Hear this verse again. God said to Abraham, don't be distressed about the boy and your slave woman. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the slave into a nation also, because he is your offspring. This was not God's original design. God's design that the promise would come, that by faith Abraham and Sarah would receive it, and then in God's time, child would be born through whom all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And that still happened, but something happened in the meantime. When Sarah and Abraham tried to fix a human problem, and even though that messed things up, even though that caused dysfunction in the family, even though there was tension, maybe even hatred from Sarah to Hagar, and sibling rivalry, comes up between Isaac and Ishmael. You know what God does? God loves and blesses them anyway. That situation that Sarah had brought into their family was not God's plan. But what does God say? Abraham, that's your son too. So I will make him a great nation because he is your offspring. Friends, I think Sarah is listed in in Hebrews chapter 11 as one of the heroes of the faith. Because all of us, male and female, we're Sarah, aren't we? There are thousands of promises to us in the Bible. Thousands of promises to those who follow God and give themselves to Him. And yet, so often in the midst of life, what do we want to do? So much is happening around us. We're fearful. We're afraid. We will fix it ourselves. And we may not say it, but in doing so, sometimes we proclaim that we know more than God does. Even though Sarah does all of this, and even though this situation comes into their family, what does God do? I'm going to love and I'm going to bless that child anyway. Isn't it just like God to take the mess that you and I have created and make something good and beautiful out of it? Isn't it just like God? Isn't it just like God to enter a situation of dysfunction, of tension, of rivalry and work something good and beautiful in spite of us? That's what God does here. What else does God do? We find a little bit further on, as they've gone out into the wilderness, and they're out of water, and there's nothing around for miles and miles, and everything seems barren and desolate and lifeless. Sound familiar? 
God still comes. Hagar cries out to God. God hears. And what does God do? God refreshes and restores. There's water all of a sudden where there had been none before in their system. You see, friends, often through things that we have done and things done to us, we get driven out. Now, you may not have had someone in your family kick you out of your home, but I think you know what I mean. Things happen in life, either that we do or that are done to us, and we're pushed out into a place of barrenness where there's no water, there's no sustenance, there's no life. We're fear maybe encroaches all around us. And yet even there, God hears the cries of his people. And he comes with nourishment and sustenance. Even in the midst of fear, God shows up. It's a fearful thing to lose someone that we all love. It's fearful, isn't it? It causes us to respond in all sorts of ways. Anger, sadness, doubt, frustration, questions. You know what the Bible gives us permission to do? The Bible gives us permission to feel all those things and more. And if you doubt that, just look at the stories of the patriarchs. Go to the Psalms and crack any one of them open. And you know what you find? People who are struggling with this, in the midst of fear, is God really good? Is he here with me? Are his promises true? Will he bring life out of death? Will the wilderness that is barren Will a spring burst forth of water that will nourish and sustain? In the midst of life's dysfunction, either that we make or that is brought on to us by the actions of others, in the midst of the fear, even God is there. God's there. God is there with the homelessness, the homeless in the streets. God is there with the addicts who are looking for another fix. God is there with the single mom at the kitchen table who's trying to figure out how to pay the next bill. God is there in a hospital room or on the bed of someone who's dying. God is there. And here's the thing about a promise. A promise is not dependent upon how we feel in any given moment. Let me say that again. A promise does not depend on how we feel at any given moment. Because I know how a lot of you feel right now. And if we depended on the promises of God, if they were dependent on circumstances, and on how those of us to whom the promise is given might feel at any given time, we're going to be all over the place. We change, our circumstances change, life happens, 
things beyond our control come to us. We can respond in fear, which is normal. But we can choose that even in the middle of the fear, even when all seems lost, we can make a choice to trust the one who gives the promise. Milt was a worshiper. Milt loved the Lord. Milt believed in the promises of God. You know, a few weeks ago when I was at the hospital and when he was able to talk to me, he believed that. He told me he did. He told me he did. You know why? You know how he could say that? Because he trusts the character and the nature of the one giving the promise. That's what it's all about. Abraham and Sarah... They had great moments of faith, and then they had moments of denial, mistrust, desperation. We find that pattern in all the characters in the Bible. Despite all that, God still uses them, because the nature and the character of the one giving the promise never changes, even though we constantly do. Even though fears around us all the time, even though we want to run and hide, even though we think all is lost, one who makes the promise is true. He is sure. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. There's a reason that Paul can write to the church in Rome and he can say, I am convinced. I am convinced that neither life nor death, principalities and powers, height nor depth, nothing in all creation separate us from the love of God. Friends, this morning you and I can be convinced of that too. We can grieve our loss. We can be sad. We can miss someone whom we loved so well and who loved us back. And that's okay. We need to do that. At the same time, we can be convinced even in the midst of fear, there's one who's with us who will bring life out of death, who will give us water in the desert. He's here with us even now. The one who made the promise is sure.